Good morning, good morning. Hey, flat, eh? Flat. Nice to see all of you guys. I hope that you have had a good weekend. You have had a good morning so far. I just wanted to draw attention to two people sitting in the fifth row back there. They've just gotten back from honeymoon. Keegan and Janine got married two weeks ago. Very cool to see you guys back. I hope that you guys had a wonderful time and are just enjoying setting up life in your new home, you know. So it's good to have you back. You're welcome to hear about how things have been and uh, maybe buy them a coffee or have a little cup of tea with them afterwards. Uh, at their wedding, I did this thing. They had um, an intense build-up to their wedding with stuff going on with their home and just normal wedding prep. And I asked them just to hold hands and look into each other's eyes and just take a moment as um, like we kind of started the ceremony. I thought I'd want to do that today. We're in this series around knowing God. I think even this morning, you could have rushed into this venue today. You know, you could have been at breakfast with someone, you could have been surfing, you could have gotten up really late, and you're in this room, and you haven't even started. Like, we've sung songs, Nate's prayed, he's led us, but maybe actually this morning, you just need to take a breather to fix your eyes on God. So I just want to pray before we carry on with any content. And Lord, really, we're doing this series because we do want to know you. And there is so much going on in some of our lives and our minds and our hearts. And we just welcome you here today. And really, we want to get to know you more. We want to know what you are like. We want to hear your voice. We want an intimate, real, personal relationship with you. We don't just want to know about you, but we want to know you. So Lord, we open our hearts up as wide as we can and say, would you come and meet with us and speak to us today? And would you, like, would you touch some things in our hearts? Would you speak to some things that are really personal today? And would you help us to take some steps forward with you? In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you're ready. Over the last few weeks, we've um, spoken about probably the obvious things that you might assume or think about when you hear about how to know God. We've talked about how to pray, how to read the Bible. We've talked about things the Holy Spirit does, how He speaks to us. We've talked about fasting and probably even under those topics we've touched on other spiritual practices or disciplines and how to know God. But this morning we're going to talk about something a little bit different that you might not have expected in this series, and it's confession and repentance. And probably even as I say that this morning, some of you feel like a little bit uncomfortable. We're not going to embarrass anyone today. We're not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. But honestly, I have been one of those people in church who has always thought of this idea of confessing my sins to another person as like the most intimidating and terrifying thing, you know, exposing myself, opening up my heart and my life for someone else to see what's under the hood can be a really worrying thing. And I want you to think about this for a second, about how we've almost been trained by our culture. Think about how you grew up. You grew up in a home, and from time to time as a child, you would mess up and do something wrong that you should. Maybe that would be bite your sister, or draw on the wall with crayons, or spill paint on the carpet, or smash your mom's prize vase when you let your budgie out of its cage and it flew all around the room. So I did all of those things, and if your folks were anything like mine, they were incredibly gifted master detectives and just skilled interrogators. So they'd go around the lounge and they'd have their big kind of uh, magnifying glass out and they'd gather all the clues and all the evidence they needed. And then they'd know if it was me, if it was my sister, they'd know which room to go into. And then the interrogation would begin. I don't know what it was like in your home, which parent was good cop, which parent was bad cop. But they would come in and the one would kind of butter you up and the other one would go in for the kill, you know. They'd have that like desk lamp shining in your eyes just like they do in the movies. And they'd get out of you if you had been the one to spill the paints or draw on the wall or whatever you had done. 
And I was a little confessor. I would always open up. I'd feel so guilty when I got found out for doing something wrong that I would always share. But the horrible thing with confession meant punishment. You know, so you wouldn't want to confess. You'd want to hide this stuff because as soon as you told your parents it was you who did it, you got a smack or you were sent to your room or no TV for a week or whatever discipline looked like in your home. And as we grow up, it just gets more serious. For us as adults, the thought of confession has got even bigger ramifications. You know, if you confess some things, you can go to jail. Confessing some things you might have done could end a relationship. You could share what is going on in your heart and life, your sins, your secrets, with someone that matters a lot to you, and you could be rejected by them and completely lose that relationship. Confession is often seen as such a negative thing. It's going to cost us. It comes with punishment. It comes with pain. So it's no wonder when we start to talk about confession in the church, everyone gets a little bit uncomfortable because we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. We don't want to be punished. We don't want to be in trouble. We don't want to be reported. We don't know how God is going to respond to us. But actually, confession is one of the ways that we can embrace God and get to know Him better for ourselves. And confession is a normal part of life, you know? I did like a little bit of Googling just researching for today, and I found the number of movie titles that had confession in them was really, really high. So I'll just throw a few out there. Confessions of a shopaholic, a dangerous mind, a killer, an entrepreneur, a causa girl, and a teenage drama queen. Confession is a big theme in our lives, and it's like a, a really big way of experiencing and growing in personal growth. You know, Confession is an amazing way for us to be empowered and to change. It's a powerful thing. I'm sure you've watched a movie or a TV show where one of the main characters has had a moment, like maybe it's a moment of personal crisis or shame, like they've messed up in a big way and their life is crumbling, or whatever it is, an existential moment. And they go to the church and they go to the confessional booth and they go in and they share things with a priest who's kind of on the other side of that booth. And often as they speak, even without hearing what the priest has got to say, there's this moment of clarity. And they walk out of there feeling lighter or with insight into what's going on in their life and a profound change that comes in their life. Confession is a very powerful thing. But still, it's one of those things that often makes us feel so uncomfortable and nervous. There's this fear. We feel afraid of sharing these deep personal things in our lives with another person because we don't know how they're going to respond. There's this tension. Do I risk keeping this thing to myself? And actually just letting my sin, my secret, eat me alive, is that better than sharing it with someone else and risking again that they reject me, that they report me, that they are ashamed by me, that they laugh in my face? There's a whole bunch of different things that we feel when it comes to our sins and our secrets. I went online this week and I looked at three different websites which give you anonymous online confession. And it was interesting just looking at these just briefly, seeing some of the things people put up there that they probably wouldn't share maybe in a context like this or with some of the closest people in their lives. So people were disclosing their plans for suicide. People were disclosing the affairs that they had had. They were sharing about things they'd done when they were young and the fantasies that were going on inside of them. There online, they felt this complete anonymity to be able to confess freely but these were the things, the deepest parts of their lives, that they wouldn't share with another person in their life, particularly some of the people closest to them. Now listen, I know some of you in this room have got big things going on in your lives. Big things that you would never dream of sharing up front here in the church. Probably for a lot of us, we don't. There's maybe small things in our lives which are going on which you know, we could confess, we could repent of. 
But I'm hoping today that the gospel speaks into those realities in our lives and helps to set us free. And you see, the gospel does this really powerful thing. The gospel reveals to us that actually all of us, even you, are more sinful than you could ever imagine. You know, There's more dark, deep stuff in you than you like to admit. But at the same time, that God loves you more than you could even hope. You know, We've got this tension of both of those things, our great sin and his great love for us, both going on inside of us. And that should encourage us and be able to confess and repent of and deal with some of the things that we're facing and that we're struggling with. Now, I remember for myself, as an 18-year-old, I came into a new church as someone who'd been in church for the last six years but was really, really far from God. And I came into this church and over time started to fall in love with God. Like as we've been talking about the series of knowing God, this is exactly what happened to me. You know, I started to pray. I started to know what God was like. I think some of the truths that I was hearing preached were, they were dropping into my heart and were becoming real for me, you know? God was becoming the center of my life and he was becoming my everything. And I was praying and reading the Bible and starting to hear God speak to me and growing as a Christian and it was profound. I was really, really excited about everything that was going on. But at the same time, I felt like as close as I was getting to God, the light of God was shining into my life and exposing sin inside of me that before maybe I'd ignored or hadn't seemed important to me or stuff that I just thought was fine. I was feeling convicted by the Spirit of God about sin in my life and probably particularly these dark little secrets inside of me that had to do with the sexual sin that I was involved in and that I was struggling with over and over again in my life. And before I'd come into the church and before I'd come to know God, this had just been normal for me. This was the lifestyle that I had. You know, this is what my friends did. This is what was going on in TV. This was normal to me in the culture. So this is the stuff that I did. But as soon as I was starting to get to know God, all of a sudden it was like this conviction came over me about the sexual sin and I wanted to turn from it. I didn't like this stuff. There was godly sorrow in my heart over the sin and I wanted to turn from it. I wanted to leave it behind. But I really struggled to. I couldn't get over this thing. And it was like this crazy reality for me. I struggled with, and do to this day, struggle with a lot of sins. There's a lot of things that I'll mess up with on a daily basis. Impatience, anger, insecurity, pride, all of this stuff is going on inside of me. And almost that's fine in my mind, you know. I'm not worried about that. So I would feel like my relationship with God was thriving if I didn't sin sexually in any way. But if I did, I'd feel like my relationship with God was awful. I felt like God was far, and for days or weeks at a time, I just, I felt like God was distant, I couldn't go to Him, I felt low, but if I was doing well in this area, I felt amazing, you know, I was crushing it with God, I was really excited and encouraged in my relationship with Him, and this was because I was believing a lie, I was believing the lie of Satan that my righteousness or my confidence before God was based on what I did, and particularly in my case, sexual sin, if I wasn't doing this stuff, then I felt like I was doing great with God. didn't matter about all the other sins. But if I was doing this stuff, I felt like I was separated from Him hugely. My righteousness was based on my sexuality, not on Jesus and what He'd done on the cross. And maybe today as I share that, you're in the same place, you know? Like that's your story. Or maybe your sin isn't the same sin as me, but you know exactly what I'm saying. Your sin looks like this, or like this, or like this. And that disqualifies you from coming to and knowing God. and makes you feel heavy rather than trusting in Jesus for what he's done. And I found my sin, like, so embarrassing, you know. I used to, like, really want to be free and know that what I should do is go to a friend 
we'll go to a leader and just confess this. Just say, this is what's going on in my life. Please pray with me. Help me. Check in on me. What do I do? How do I get free of this stuff? But I couldn't because I felt so embarrassed. And I thought, if I do that, I'm probably going to be rejected or ashamed or who knows how they're going to act. You know, I remember being at church on a Sunday like this, and I'd casually, just casual chatting to some of the pastors, and inside I was like gripped with fear. I'd think things like this. Do they know? Can they see through me? Does God tell them stuff like this? Can they see it in my eyes? You know, And if they did know, surely they would say something to me. So I would have these conversations and be like fearful of that, and then I'd kind of leave and think, I'm going to get a call this week. I know the call is coming because they know what's going on in my life. And I really wanted to be free of the sin, but I, I just didn't want to confess it. I really felt like I was the only person in the church in this boat. I was the only person struggling with these different sexual sins. I was the only one. And if I went to someone, they would think I was such a weirdo. I lacked self-control. I was like perverted in some way. And they would reject me. And I would lose this friendship and be exposed in a really hard and hurtful way. That was until I started to believe the gospel and understand God's grace more and more. And for each one of us in this room, we've got an enemy. His name is Satan, and he wants you to keep that stuff bottled up inside of you. He doesn't want you to confess your struggles, your sins, your secrets, your shames, your idols to anyone else. Because he lies to us and tells us if we confess that, if we share it, then we will be alone. Then we will be rejected. He lies to us and says, God loves you. Sure, God loves you unless you do that, that thing, you know. You can confess whatever you want. You can repent of whatever you want. God will forgive you of every sin except for that. You are the only one who struggles with this. And we believe the lie and we sometimes live filled with guilt and shame on our own, isolated, pretending like everything's fine when actually we're being eaten up inside. And if that's you, maybe you feel the same today. If I share this with my friend, my closest friend, my life group leader, Grant, one of the pastors, they're going to laugh in my face. They're going to report me. They're going to reject me. It's going to be awful. These are lies we need to reject. And today, as I share a little bit more about confession and repentance, I hope our mindsets are going to change from seeing this as a punishment that we have to endure when we mess up in some way to a gift that God has given to us to set us free that actually this is a way of living in the light, living in freedom, and, and those things that bind us and weigh us down being taken off of us so that we can freely follow and live for God. Who doesn't want that? So if you've got a Bible with you, can I ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 1? If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. It'll pop up on the screen just behind me. But our passage today is written by John the Apostle. He's one of Jesus' inner circle of three. He was one of the 12 disciples. He traveled with Jesus. He knew him well. And he is going to teach us one of the ways that we can come to know God better. And he writes this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. John is writing to us because he wants us to know God which is a big deal. You think that John is Jesus's best friend, self-proclaimed, but still, like he thought he was Jesus's best friend. He knew Jesus well. 
he bribed with Jesus, he fished with Jesus, he traveled with Jesus. And he was one of the guys who, when Jesus healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead, he was there, like best seats in the house. He heard Jesus preach his greatest sermons, and at the same time afterwards, he'd sit around the bry fire with Jesus, and he had the opportunity to ask him any question he wanted. The toughest niggling at the back of your mind, John could ask Jesus and get answers around the fire from him. Pretty amazing situation. And he writes to us and says, this is how you know God. He knew Jesus and he wants us to know how to know him too. And he carries on in verse 5 to 10 and says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John's words to us on two ways that we can know God involve repentance and confession. So I just want to look at three ways that we can confess today, and hopefully practically they will help us to grow in our relationship with him. The first is this. We need to start by confessing our sin to ourselves. Now that might sound like a bit of a funny thing, but let me read you a passage. In Mark 1 verse 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And it's like Jesus is saying this in a nutshell. He's saying, I'm the king of the world of the universe. I am ultimate reality. You're living in light of all of these other things as if they are the most important thing. Now's the moment to turn. Now's the moment to change. Now's the moment to respond to me and live in light of who I am and what I've done and turn to follow me in all of these things. That's what Jesus is saying. And I love Jesus. I think he must have been the most incredible guy, the perfect man. You know, I've got great guy friends who I think are amazing. But Jesus would have been far greater than any of them. He was perfect. But we see his message here, how confrontational it is. You know, Jesus, the perfect man, getting in your face and saying, repent, repent. And when we hear the message of Jesus, which is the message of John and the message of the apostles and the message throughout the scriptures, we should feel confronted by this reality that we need to change. And there's three changes, really, that we need to be faced by. The first is this. We are sinners. The second, that we need Jesus, that we don't have what it takes on our own. And the third is that there is stuff that we need to leave behind and to stop doing if we're going to follow Jesus. That's kind of all what's encapsulated when Jesus and John say, repent. And for any of us in this room to respond to this. Now, I know some of you have grown up in church. You've heard this your entire lives. Some of you, this is maybe a little bit more new. But for any of us in this room, whether this is old or new to you, to respond to this, we need to be a little bit self-aware, and we need to be a little bit honest with ourselves, and we need to be a little bit humble. And I want to ask you today, can you own the fact that Jesus says you are a sinner? Do you own that reality? You are a sinner, and that you need help, and that help can't come from you. It can only come from him. Do you own that reality? I just want you to know this. I'm not saying you're a bad person. You might be a more moral person than me today. You probably are. I'm 
saying that all of us, all of us are sinners in need of God's grace. And here in this passage, John defines sin a little bit for us to understand it. In verse 6, 8, and 10, he talks about us walking in sin, being in sin, and doing sin. Now, in the New Testament, which is originally written in Greek, there are these seven words for what it meant to sin. One of them is to miss the mark. So like you aim an arrow at a bullseye and you fire it and it misses the bullseye. You hit something else, you know. That's what sin is when we hit the wrong target. Sin is rebellion when we don't do what we're supposed to do. Sin is when we fail. There's a whole bunch of different ideas for what sin is and how we disobey God. But more than just being something that we do, sin is something that we are. The Bible teaches us that we have a sinful nature, that we are born in sin. Kind of like, you know, when you sneeze, it's because you've got a cold. Sneezing is what you do, but the cold is what you have. We have sin. It's like this virus that we need a cure from. And that's what John is wanting us to understand here. Sin is a condition that we need a cure for. And he says in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him, that we know God, while we walk in darkness, while we remain in sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. And what John is saying to us is we can't both know God and carry on in ongoing unrepentant sin. I know some of us might be in that place now. Like, we're all going to sin for the rest of our lives, guys. I want you to know I've probably sinned this morning, probably got a little bit tense about something or whatever it might be. We all will sin every day. But we should be growing and going forward and progressing in our faith, actually overcoming of sin. And when we sin, when we find ourselves trapped up in sin, then you know what we do? We humble ourselves. We repent. We run to God. We actually feel a sorrow over our sin. We hate sin. Christians hate sin because we know it doesn't please God. And that should be the place that we find ourselves in. And John is saying this, we can't embrace a life of sin and try and walk with God. You know, it just doesn't work. You can't take hold of sin and try and follow Jesus because you can't go both ways. We can't walk in darkness and walk in light at the same time. And this morning I want to challenge you. Where are you? Are you embracing darkness or are you following Jesus? Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? Because we can't do both. We can't know God and carry on in sin. The second type of confession that we need to make is confession to one another. And James writes in James 5 verse 16, he says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And James is teaching us here that confession is a gift that God has given to us that we could be set free from sin. He wants us to use it to enjoy a relationship of knowing God and to be free. Now, I don't know if you know this, but James is Jesus's biological brother. They would have grown up together. Mary and Joseph were their folks. And he would have known Jesus from this young, young age. And now he's got this vision, and he wants to envision us with the kind of church Jesus would want. And it's the kind of church where we trust one another, and where we know one another, and there's this atmosphere of grace in the room, atmosphere of grace among the people, that actually I can go to Josh and say, Josh, would you pray for me? Like, I'm struggling. Josh, actually, I just want to trust you with something that's going on in my life. And I know he's not going to reject me. I know he's not going to laugh in my face. I know that he will be a safe place for me to trust my sin and my struggles because actually we've both been transformed by the gospel. That is the idea that James is speaking about here. 
And one of the reasons that you and I don't confess our sins to one another is this, that we think the church is a congregation of saints, not a congregation of sinners. Now listen, it's both. Like, I want you to look around. Everyone in this room who is in Christ is a saint. It's a beautiful truth of the gospel. But at the same time, every single person in this room is a sinner in need of God's grace. That should encourage you. It encourages me a whole lot. I think sometimes what we do is we think we're the outsider. We're like alone, you know. Everyone else in this room is like Christian cum laude. They've got, like, they're just one notch under platinum angel status. Like, they're going for that this year. And we think everyone else in this room has memorized the Bible, and actually they never sin. Like, they've graduated from that. That's a thing of the past. Now they just walk in sunshine all the time, halos and things like that. You think they leave here. There's no sin in our hearts. In traffic, we don't get angry with cars that cut us off or get in our way. We don't get impatient ever. There's never something in our hearts or our words or our actions which is wrong and dishonors God. It's nonsense. We sometimes believe the lie that everyone else in the room is living this one ongoing, unbroken, prayer-filled, worship song singing life, where every time we open the Bible, just epiphanies and revelations are popping off the page, and our minds are being blown nonstop. It's just not true. If that's you, you're in a wonderful place. But that is not true for most of us. The lie we believe is that everyone else has graduated from Christian school, and we're sitting in detention in our sins. That's not the truth of the gospel. It's just not true. We are sinners together, all struggling with sin, all struggling with things in our lives, all trusting on God for His grace. And that means you are not alone. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, no matter the idle sins or struggles you have, you are not alone. We're in this together. I don't know if you've read the book, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. It's a really beautiful book if you're keen to give it a read. But he tells the story in the beginning of a friend of his, who works with the impoverished and addicted in Chicago. And he's chatting to this guy, and he tells him this really, really hectic story. He was working at this place, and obviously a lot of people come through, and he hears a whole bunch of different stories. But one day this woman comes in, and she starts to confess and confide in him. She tells him that she's a prostitute with a two-year-old child. She tells him about the things that she's had to do to be able to get by, to be able to feed her child, feed herself, Uh, the way that she's had to earn money for her own drug addiction just so that she's been able to carry on with life. And he, he can't believe the things he's hearing. This is really shocking to him, this person who deals with people's problems all of the time. And at the end of it, kind of unsure of what to say, he says, have you considered going to the church for help? And this woman, he says, he will never forget the look of pure naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. Guys, that is not the church Jesus dreamed of. That's not the church Jesus died for. The church, clichédly, is called a hospital for sinners. The church is not a place that you would be shamed or guilted if you came and confessed what is going on in your life. We want to become the kind of church Jesus has dreamed of. Matt Chandler, pastor, follower, but has this mantra in his church. He says, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And I want you to know that's what we believe here. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be going through what you're going through. We want to help you grow. We want to help you go forward. We want to help you be changed by the grace of God more and more into the image 
of Jesus. Now, my worst word in the world at the moment is the word millennial. Oh, I think it's just like the worst, most overused buzzword in the world, you know? makes me cringe whenever someone says it. The reality, though, is probably 60% of this church falls into that category at the moment. And one of the stereotypes, so it might not be true for you, people who fit into that category, is that we value authenticity over everything else. Authenticity is the key big idea, you know? So you might have seen this. This might have been you in a life group situation. You almost confidently confess your sin. This is me. This is my struggle. This is where I'm at. This is who I am. But there's no repentance, you know? In our culture at the moment, there can be a bold confession of sin because we want to be authentic. But we don't go the whole way that Jesus calls us to go and confess and repent. In repentance, there is a godly sorrow for us. And there's a hatred for sin, a turning from sin and a turning to Jesus that he by the Spirit would change us and empower us to live a new life in Jesus. We don't just want confession or just want repentance. We want both. They're both tools given to us by God to know him better. Confession without repentance might be cathartic for you. It might feel freeing, but it's not transformative, and it won't bring us the kind of life that Jesus has called us to. The third and final type of confession, which is by far the most important, and you should run there quickly, is in verse 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now the blessing for us of confessing our sins to him is the assurance you and I can have that we are forgiven by what he's done. That is an amazing thing. To know that you know that you have been uh, forgiven of all of your sin. And on top of that, the experience we can have of being cleansed from our sins by the blood of Jesus. Shell and I did some ministry in Cape Town last year. Kerry Cross was actually in the room. She was a deacon in the church at a time. And one of the girls just said to me, I, I think I asked the question, what has been your most incredible experience of God? And she'd had quite a part. She'd done some stuff she really regretted. She just said the feeling of being washed clean of my past and my sins by the blood of Jesus. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need that experience. He would love to give that to you. I don't know if you've believed the lie that if you confess your sins to God, you would be rejected, but it's not true. He wants to forgive you and he wants to cleanse you by what he's done on the cross. And I know when I was younger, I used to get kind of tripped up by this thing. I used to think to myself, well, what if like I missed one or two things? You know, I've been like pretty good. I've made a list. I've gone through all of my sins. I think I've gotten most of them. But what if I miss one or two? Does that mean I'm not forgiven? You know, like are those ones kind of remaining? Do I have to like try and go back and work it out? God, show me is there anything I haven't confessed of? But that's not the gospel, you know. Our confidence before God isn't in our perfect confession. It's in his perfect sacrifice in our place. Our trust is in Jesus. It's not in our confession. Our trust is in who he is and what he's done. It's not how well we repent or how often we share this stuff with other people. Our trust is in him and taking it in him. We want to confess not to earn our forgiveness. We want to confess to experience his forgiveness. That's why we're doing all of this. And the Bible makes us this amazing promise about the kind of God we're worshiping here today. It says in Isaiah 43 verse 25, God speaks and says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. 
I will not remember your sins. I think some of us in this room maybe are this kind of couple or know this kind of couple where whenever they fight, one of them is just kind of pocketing that mistake, that situation. They're not saying anything. They're not bringing it up, but they're keeping it for a later day. And there's going to be that moment where he steps out of line or she steps out of line. And all of that stuff is just ammunition to be used in that moment to win the argument. You know, I've been that guy at times. God is not that kind of God. When you sin, when you confess, when you repent, it's blotted out, it's forgiven, it's gone once and for all. And for you and I, as we leave here today, the week ahead will be filled with sin for each one of us. We're going to mess up. We're going to rebel against God. We're going to do things we shouldn't do. I want to encourage you to do this. As you do it, run to God. As you are tempted to sin, run to him. As you realize, oh, my attitude, oh, my desire, oh, what I've just said, what I've just done, that's so wrong. Run straight to him. Because what we sometimes do is we leave it for a while. You know, just, oh, I shouldn't have done it. Just leave it. Okay, just carry on with life. And Satan would love to come in like a wedge and separate us from God and let that time frame increase more and more and more so God feels further away so we don't know him. We want to run straight to him and confess and experience his forgiveness and be close with God, our Father. That's what we want to do. Harbor City, every single one of us here today have got sin to confess and we've got things to repent of. And I want to encourage you with this. This is not a one-off thing. You might have done this before. Yeah, I'm good today. This is not a one-off thing. Every single day for the rest of our lives, we will be confessing and repenting of sin, going to God for his grace to receive it again and again and experiencing that forgiveness. But I want to ask you this. For every look inward, take 10 looks at him, you know? It's so easy for us to look inside. And even now, as we have a moment of response, to just see what is inside of us. And if you're anything like me, there's a lot of gunk inside. There's a lot you want to change. Sometimes I feel like almost despair. I'm like, there's so much that needs to change inside of me, you know? So for every look at self, let's take 10 looks at Christ. He is the one who forgives. He is the one who is changing us. He is the perfect sacrifice in our place. He is the one we are trusting in, not ourselves. He is our Savior. Let's look to Him and trust in Him. Can I ask you to stand with me, please? If you don't mind closing your eyes, if you're comfortable with it, can I ask you to do that? I just love us to ask the Holy Spirit. Just take a moment to ask Him to reveal some stuff to us. And maybe there's some things that even as I've spoken... You feel like he's highlighted and that you want to respond to God and take to him about. I just thought of a few things today. Maybe you need forgiveness and want to feel cleansed of your sin. One of the things we do in this church, if you're comfortable with it, is we actually raise our hands to God as a sign of yieldedness and surrender. And if you feel today, actually, I need to be forgiven. I need to repent. I'm confessing. Confess your sins to God now. Would you raise your hands to him just as a sign of surrender that actually, Lord, I need your forgiveness. Maybe today you want to repent of something quite big, something you've left for a long time. Would you raise your hands to him and surrender to him? And I just thought maybe you're here today. Maybe you've been to church a bunch of times and today you've realized I'm actually not in Christ. You know, I've embraced a whole lot of other things. I haven't embraced Christ I haven't taken hold of him. I'm not in him. I might have called myself a Christian, 
but I need to become a Christian. I need to be forgiven. I, I want to be adopted as a son or daughter of God. Would you also raise your hands to God as a sign of surrender and trust that the grace of God would be poured out on you? So Lord, I pray in this moment as we respond to you, I ask you, Father, that you would wash people clean, that people would feel your forgiveness come upon them, that people would experience your love and your grace. I pray for your profound power to set people free. We've been bound by sin for way too long. Set us free, I pray, Lord. And I pray we would be a church that is able to confess to one another and freely confesses to you and experiences and shows and demonstrates your grace because of the work you've done in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.